I've been praying for us um, ahead of this morning and asking what the Lord wants to do with us today. Um, and there's a couple of things. One of the things that I felt the Lord wanted to do with us is just to set us up, just to set us up for uh, what he has for us over the next few weeks and months. There is, there is something about when we gather in his presence together as a, as a, as a body like this, and we listen to his word and we seek to worship and engage with his presence, where he can just do things in us at a deep level. He can deposit things in our heart that we're going to need over the next few months, and he can shape our focus so that we're looking at the right things and we're focusing on the right things, and our hearts are moving in the right direction with him, which makes all the difference in the coming weeks and months as we go forward. And I believe the Lord wants to set us up this morning. And so I've been praying that God would set us up with encounters with himself and I really felt the Lord gave me a word as well, um, which I have taken and has formed the basis of what I'm going to say to you this morning. And the word is this, you need to keep a firm grasp on the way of my kingdom, how it comes, how it feels, how it moves, and what it produces. You need to keep a firm grasp on the way of my kingdom, I believe the Lord is saying to us, how it comes how it feels, how it moves, what it produces. Let's pray. Father, my words have no power to bring life, to transform, to equip, to lead us into your presence and closer to you, to combat lies but your word does do all of those things and when we read your word and when we grapple with your word and when we preach with faith it's amazing how powerful that can be in our hearts and so I want to ask for that grace I want to ask for that power this morning that as I speak that we would be sitting under your word come and transform us come and open our eyes to what we need to see Help us to leave this place full of faith, full of your word, full of fire for you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It occurred to me that if we don't understand how the kingdom of heaven works, we're going to have all kinds of frustrations and struggles and confusions. It's easy to get frustrated by the way things are. Um, I don't know if you ever struggle with how things sometimes feel so helpless and hopeless. When you look around at what's going on in the world, and you, it's easy to feel like everything's moving in the wrong direction sometimes. The way that so much of culture shuns the gospel and the word of God. Do you ever get frustrated about how hard it is to turn the problems in our workplaces around? The things that we see that are not as they should be. Do you ever get frustrated um, at how hard it seems to be to turn our politics around and to have a government that is working well? I'm sure all of us have hit that over the last few months. Do you ever struggle with how hard it is to sometimes to turn, to see a friend turn their life around? If you've got someone that, his, that you love to bits and is battling, is in a, a, a mess of some kind. 
And you long for them to be whole. You long for them to be walking in stability and strength and health and joy. And it's just so hard to see them make that transition. Do you ever get frustrated about how hard it is to turn our own lives around? To see our own souls find their full freedom in God. We know that when the kingdom of God is brought fully to bear, these frustrations will be resolved, right? Life will be different. There'll be things that we battle with now that maybe we get confused about now and we get frustrated with now that will be different when the kingdom of God is fully expressed in our experience. If the kingdom of heaven were to be fully expressed, our conversations would be different. What we'd be looking at would be different. Our focus would be different so much of the time. If unbelief and wickedness were shifted, everyone would believe and seek to follow the Lord. Our workplaces would become selfless and creative and wise and kind. Our government would become selfless and wise and just and effective. Our loved ones would be healed of their infirmities and their addictions and their soul issues. And their own hearts would be set free in the full in every area. Is that true? When the kingdom breaks in in full, it feels as though the kingdom of God, God's way of things, God's truth and God's life should have an impact on all of these things and solve these issues. Well, do you know what? That is exactly what Jesus' followers longed to see also. The people that spent time with Jesus, that walked the hills of Galilee with Jesus. They had these same hopes, these same expectations. They saw Jesus do wonderful things with their own eyes to transform situations of all kinds. They saw the kingdom coming all around them in power, but they still had questions. They still had frustrations. They still got confused about what the kingdom of heaven was supposed to look like, what it was supposed to make a difference to. They wanted to know the masses would turn to the Lord. They wanted their government to change. They wanted oppression to be halted. They wanted everything to be well. So Jesus taught them about the kingdom of God, how it works, what we should expect, how to think about it, and how to cooperate with it. Now, obviously, Jesus taught far too much about the kingdom of God for me to contain in one message. But um, I'm going to see if I can cover a little bit of ground with just some of the, the key principles, the key um, things that we need to grasp and understand in order to understand what kind of kingdom this is and how it works, how it moves, what we can expect it to produce. So turn to Matthew and chapter 13. In Matthew 13, it's like um, a pause in the whole narrative of Matthew. Up until this point, much of Matthew has been focused on the identity of Jesus, who this Son of Man is. And uh, from this point forward, there's this move towards the cross. It, 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 he makes his way now towards Jerusalem, and it all becomes about his death and his resurrection and his glory. But in this point in the middle, in chapter 13, there's like this pause to discuss the things of the kingdom. So it begins with probably one of the most famous parables, the parable of the sower. So let's read it together. 
Matthew 13 and from verse 1. Later that day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. A large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat there and taught as the people stood on the shore. He told many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. These seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, since they didn't have deep roots, and they died. Other seeds fell among the thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. And still other seeds fell on fertile soil. And they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as it had been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. His disciples came and asked him, Why do you use parables when you talk to the people? He replied, You are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. That is why I use these parables. Jump over to verse 18. Now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting his seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that has been planted in their hearts. The seed that is on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on the good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, even a hundred times as much as has been planted. It's a big passage, but it's the key first parable in Jesus' narrative here. The first thing to understand about the kingdom of God is that it starts with us, between us and God, who is represented as the farmer in this parable. The kingdom comes to us like a small seed, and the extent to which it has an impact depends on what's in here. It's in our hearts. We can't look to the left or to the right. We can't look to culture. We can't look to our government. We can't look to anything else. We need to look in the heart. If this parable forces us to ask the question of ourselves, where do we stand in relation to the truth of the kingdom of God? In this parable, the farmer is the same. And the seed is the same. It's the soil that's different. God is the same. The seeds of the gospel of the kingdom of God is the same. It's the people that vary considerably in how they respond. 
And you may have noticed that our hearts change over time. Our hearts can go through every single one of these different soil types. Sometimes we can get a little bit hard-hearted, can't we? And we can hear the word of God, and it can kind of stay on the surface, not really go deep into our hearts and begin to grow and change us. Sometimes we can get a little bit where it's really hard just to hear a word of God that will really impact our life once again and start to soften us and grow. Sometimes we can let the pressure and stress of our lives steal our zeal, and we can get a bit withered in faith. Is that true? Sometimes we can allow things to choke out our faith and our love for God when struggles and demands come. And then there's this subtle, unconscious striving after things that seems to keep coming back, doesn't it? Every time we feel like we can kind of let things go and prioritize the Lord and seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, somehow, subtly, it creeps back in that our focus gets moved to something else and we desire that and our focus gets um, taken in such a way that, that we just don't have much eyes on God anymore for a time. Our hearts seem to be able to move through these soil conditions, it seems to me. Sometimes we can move through several conditions in a single year. But thank God, if we find ourselves hard-hearted or spiritually dry or strangled by stress, um, Jesus can, makes it very clear that there is always a possibility of a return to fruitfulness. I love those words in this passage in uh, Matthew thirteen twelve, where it says, To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. And they will have an abundance of knowledge. But those who are not listening, what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. It all comes down to our will to listen. That is the big thing that is going to make a difference to our hearts and to our experience of God. If we listen to Jesus, whatever state our heart is in, he promises to give us fresh revelation and abundance. Doesn't that encourage you? It does me. The Celts had a saying, go back to your cell. Has anyone ever heard? It's a wonderful saying. If you're not on fire for Jesus, go back to your cell. If you're not seeing miracles and answers to prayer, go back to your cell. If you're too tangled up in other affairs so that your faith has no room to grow, go back to your cell. What did they mean? They mean go back and listen to Jesus. Shut yourself away and put him first again. Go back and get heaven's perspective again. Go back and worship until you feel your heart burning with love for God and his lost ones again. Go back to your cell. It's not meant, it's not meant to be a derogatory thing. It's not meant to be a criticism of someone. It's, 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 it was said warmly by a friend to encourage you and ignite that flame of faith and passion once again. It's meant to say nothing is more important. Discipline yourself to stay and not come out until you've revived the wisdom and the power of the Spirit in your heart. And maybe that's a word for some people here this morning. Maybe you've got a little bit dry. Maybe you've got a little bit jaded. Maybe you've got a bit distracted by other things that you've been running after. And maybe the Lord's word to you today is go back to your cell. Go and listen to the Lord again. Do you like that saying? The truth is that without time listening to Jesus, our faith withers on its own. I believe Jesus is kind of describing a, a, a law of spiritual atrophy here. 
To those who listen, more will be given. To those who don't listen, even what they have will be taken away. There is something about uh, when we listen to the Lord, it's like using a muscle. You use a muscle, it gets stronger. It gets bigger. It grows. It gets more effective. If you don't work a muscle, it withers, right? It's the same with our faith. Strength of faith and abundance of joy in his presence and power in prayer and fruitfulness in service is in our hands as much as it is in his. We have to exercise our will to listen to him and to fire up in him. And if we do, he promises to bless us and make us 30, 60, 100 times more fruitful. Hallelujah. So that's the first way the kingdom works. Always, primarily, it's a matter of me and him. Don't look beyond me and him when, it, when you're first assessing the kingdom. The kingdom is first a matter of where is my heart with God? Always. It's that simple. That is the first and primary thing. And that's what Jesus wanted to get across more than anything else to his hearers. It's about you and the Lord and where your heart is right now. That's where the kingdom begins. What about evil people? If the kingdom of God is among us, why do evil people still thrive and oppress the weak? Shouldn't we expect greed and selfishness and oppression to be receding in the earth if the kingdom of heaven is amongst us? Surely the gospel should have done its work and there should be a greater concentration of sons and daughters of the kingdom on earth than there is. As wonderful as the gospel is and as powerful as the kingdom is, Jesus is quite clear that there will be another agent at work in the world right to the very end. Evil is going to keep coming and will sometimes seem like it's one. Let's read Matthew 13 and from verse 24. Here's another story Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven farmer who planted good seed in his field. I love all these farming analogies. But that night, as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat and then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field, that, uh, sorry, the field where you planted that good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked. No, he replied. You'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles and burn them, and then I'll put the wheat in the barn. probably worth reading Jesus' explanation before I try and give you mine. Um, <laughs> jump over to verse 36. Then leaving the crowds outside, Jesus went into the house and his disciples said, please explain to us this story of the weeds in the field. Jesus replied, the son of man is the farmer who plants the good seed. The field is the world and the good seed represents the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people who belong to the evil one. The enemy who planted the weeds among the, among the wheat is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the world, and the harvesters are the angels. Just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will remove from his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. 
And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. So just for the sake of clarity, the field is the world. The farmer is Jesus. The wheat are the sons and daughters of the kingdom. The weeds are the people who belong to the evil one. And the enemy who planted the weeds is the devil. At the end of the world, as we know it, a great separation will happen. Those who belong to the evil one will be separated out and destroyed with weeping and gnashing of teeth or with desperate regret. And the sons and daughters of the kingdom who previously were almost indistinguishable from the rest will shine like the sun, gleaming like Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration in the kingdom of their father. Okay, are we all clear about what the Lord is saying? What struck me was the real contrast between how hidden this distinction is between the people of the kingdom and the people of the evil one are in this age, and yet how obvious that distinction is in the age to come when Jesus brings the end. In this age, the wheat and the weeds look almost the same. In some ways, we can't tell the difference. If we go around trying to uproot and destroy evil people ourselves, we would make a hash of it. And we would also certainly destroy much of what God is doing in the process. And I think the church has tried this in the past, much to our shame. Tried to go around the world uprooting evil and conquering places, saying that this should be and that shouldn't be, and exerting power in that way. God says, leave the judgment to me. You just focus on the kingdom forming in your life and live out the kingdom right in the face of wickedness, side by side, shoulder to shoulder with all the wickedness in the world. Just grow together, and I will bring justice when the time comes. It doesn't mean we don't challenge justice. That's part of expressing the kingdom. But if you're one of these people that gets really frustrated at why there's so much crap in the world, just understand Jesus said, that's how it's going to be. Don't let it mess with your faith. Don't let it rock your belief in the kingdom of God because that's how it's going to be. The kingdom is going to keep growing. But you know what? There's going to be an enemy to the end. One day that will be sorted out. But we have to be patient in the meantime. Don't let the mess of this world rob you of seeing what God is doing in the world. It can be a real distraction. So, number one, the kingdom comes through our personal openness to him always first. Number two, Evil will be sprouting up alongside the kingdom right until the last day. Number three, the message and the power of the kingdom will always feel insignificant, but will carry great power and potential. Let's read from Matthew 13, 31. Here is another illustration Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. Love in the farming analogies. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree, and the birds of the air come and make a nest in its branches. So if you've ever felt like the gospel is a little bit feeble, if you've ever felt like the message of your life is a little bit feeble, your testimony is a little bit feeble and insignificant, if you ever felt like what you believe and what you stand for as a Christian is a little bit unimpressive. 
in your workplace or amongst your friends that don't yet believe? Well, try not to worry about that because that's normal. Jesus said it was going to feel like a mustard seed. The kingdom seed that you have in your hands, this relationship you have with God, this love and this passion for God, this story of what he's done in your life, still, it's like a mustard seed. And when we share it, when we share the kingdom with other people, it comes across as a mustard seed. Sometimes I wish it would come across like a magnificent tree. Sometimes I wish I could impress people with the gospel and impress people into the kingdom. It doesn't really work that way. But I do love growing things from seed. Um, I'm a little bit of a gardener, I'm a growing gardener, as I've already talked to you about before. I like to bore you with a few of my gardening stories. And um, this year, um, this is just you know purely for my benefit. This year, I, I grew a few things from seed. Um, there's something about watching it grow. I, I had these lining up on my windowsill in my bedroom for ages with all sorts of seeds that I planted. And there was one particular one that I was quite excited about that was going to come up. I was watching Gardener's World. Um, that's how rock and roll I am. Um, and uh, Monty Don was explaining some of the things that they were doing in his garden. And uh, there was one that, that he talked about, Cabea uh, Scandens. Oh, I thought I'm getting me one of them. So I went straight on Amazon, and I got me some seeds, because you don't want to buy plants, really, you know, unless, if you can buy them from seeds and do them. Anyway, I, this is this year, growing from seed. I grew 10 of them. All of them came up, and they've gone bonkers. Look at that. Isn't that beautiful? So I put them in gaps all around the garden, um, and uh, I've given a few away as well, so hopefully they've done really well. So I'm going to pass that around. You can have a look at them. They're... they're um, they're quite a kind of classic-looking plant. But do you know what? My job in all of this was literally to put a few tiny black seeds in a bit of dirt in a really cheap pot like that. That was my bit. That's what I'm good at. Look at what God did. It's him that does the work. It's him that brings the glory. It's him that brings the growth. And if I were to, show, if I were to get excited and to show you around what I'm doing in my garden back in... March, April, you'd have just looked at a few really cheap pots and a load of dirt and nothing going on on my windowsill. And that's how it feels when we share the gospel. We're literally taking a rubbish little seed, something which the world often looks at and goes, mm, what's that? I'm not really interested. But when you plant it faithfully, it's amazing what God can do with it. We should think of ourselves like Jack with his beans. Seriously, your friends and family might be seriously unimpressed, but you just chuck it outside. You just it and there's a beanstalk of power in the gospel. <laughs> Jesus is like a true gardener. He sees these feeble-looking gospel seeds in your hands, and he gets really excited. Like, like he's just come across a rare species that he's been looking for for his whole life, and he can't wait to get those in the soil. He knows they have potential to establish another glorious bit of the kingdom wherever they're lovingly planted and tended and cared for. So, it comes through our personal openness to him. Evil's going to be sprouting up alongside the kingdom until the last day. And the message and the power of the kingdom will always feel insignificant, but will always carry great power and potential. Number four, 
Though the kingdom of God is almost invisible to the unspiritual eye, God will also see to it that his kingdom, his way, his truth, and his life will work its way into every corner of society across the world. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. Let's read Matthew 13 and verse 33. Jesus also used this illustration. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put, it, put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. Not farming this time, but cooking. So the kingdom works like yeast. How does yeast work? Well, yeast is live. It has a life of its own. You can add one little bit to a batch of dough and it works its way through the whole batch. So it is with the kingdom of heaven. Jesus intends for his kingdom to work its way through every element of human existence. It doesn't matter if we're in a classroom or in parliament, in the hospital wards or in the law courts. The spirit of God is active and moving and wants to release the way, the truth and the life of the kingdom absolutely everywhere. And you know what? That means that we are all in full-time Christian ministry. But this is something the church missed for years. There was a distinction between those who were and who weren't. God wants to be everywhere. He wants to be everywhere you are. And he wants to use us to reach everybody. His, to express the kingdom, his ways, his truth, and his life with whatever sphere of influence we have. With whatever responsibility that God has given us. He wants his kingdom to break out. Our only question, yours and mine, is what is God doing in my area of responsibility and influence and how can I join him? That's the big kingdom question. Just think about that for the moment. What is God doing in my area of responsibility and influence and how can I join him? There's been communities of believers in the past that have been so convinced about God's passion to reach every little nook and cranny of society that they have been willing to go anywhere and everywhere to share the gospel and to see the kingdom break out. Let me read you something. In the nation of Ireland, another band of scattered servants emerged. Early Celtic missionaries, love those guys, Convinced that God was going to do more beyond their shore, beyond their lives. Those devoted servants would set out in rugged little boats known as coracles. Have you seen coracles? Those little leather boats. They had no programs or models to offer. They had sails and invited the wind to blow them wherever. And wherever they went, those who had been scattered preached and communicated and demonstrated the word and the message of the kingdom. Astonishing. Before long, signs and wonders followed and new communities flourished. Amazingly, those missionaries conducted no demographic studies, no market research to identify the most responsive communities. I can imagine a reporter of the day asking, where are you going? And the response would be, it doesn't matter. Wherever we go, the kingdom will come. When we get there, we know that God's spirit will be present and powerful. And it happened just as they believed. Whole cities encountered the king and his kingdom. It's tempting to consign these stories to a few pages of history. Yet they are designed to reveal what is possible in our day. Biblical, 
historical and cultural reminders that the kingdom comes as we go. We stand in a long line of believers who brought life to whole communities. Not only is it possible and normal, it's also our purpose and our nature. Do you love that? I think we've got something to learn from our Irish brothers. We don't have to launch ourselves off Dartmouth Harbour in a coracle, hoist our sails and ask the Holy Spirit to blow us to an unreached people group. We can launch ourselves out of our cars on, Sunday, on Monday morning and ask the Holy Spirit to carry us to the unreached people group in the office, in the workshop, in the factory, wherever it is that we are. Like the monks of Ireland, we can assume that God wants to establish his kingdom literally everywhere, like yeast going through dough. So, kingdom of heaven comes through our personal openness to him. Evil will be sprouting up alongside the kingdom until the last day. The message and the power of the kingdom will always feel insignificant, but will always carry great potential. And Jesus will work with us to establish his kingdom in every part of society, wherever we find ourselves. And finally, the kingdom will one day come to a full realization on a date already determined by God. So we're going to skip over the parables about treasure and pearls, and we're going to pick it up from Matthew 13 and verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net that was thrown into the water and caught fish of every kind. When the net was full, they dragged it up onto the shore and sorted the good fish into crates and threw the bad ones away. That, was, that is the way it will be at the end of the world. The angels will come and separate the wicked people from the righteous, throwing the wicked into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you understand these things? Yes, they said. We do. Everybody say yes. Everybody say we do. It's as plain as day as Jesus could make it. A day is coming when the fishing is over. When Jesus reaches the shore on the horizon and the nets are hauled in and a great separation begins, we have come full circle. We've come from people being separated based on whether they have accepted or rejected the message of the kingdom. And we now have God separating people based on evidence that the kingdom has been established in their hearts and their lives. This is an important factor for the kingdom. Jesus wants us to know that there is a conclusion to all of this. We wrestle, we work, we pray, we serve in this age, but there is a conclusion that we're moving to. There is a time when God's ways will become our culture. There is a time when all truth will be revealed. There is a time when his eternal life of love will permeate all things. There is a time when justice will be fully received. A time when our gospel task is completed. A time of reward and celebration. When all struggle is over. When the beauty of the kingdom will fully emerge. And the goodness of God will grow without choking weeds. Without the mess of this cursed and broken world. Jesus wants us to know that that day is coming. And he will make sure it comes. Just as surely as the sun rises in the morning. It's also a time when all opportunity to share the message of salvation will be over too, which is a sobering thought, isn't it? Right now, the invitations are still going out to call people 
as many people as possible into the kingdom of God so that on that final day we can stand with a vast multitude of brothers and sisters, glowing with his love, overcome with wonder at his goodness and spilling over with joy and gratitude in what will be the fully expressed and perfected kingdom of our wonderful Jesus. Let's keep that always in the back of our minds and make each day count towards it. Amen.